Well, Harvest, as you know, we are here in a, uh, a journey preparation Sundays for uh, taking a tour through the book of Revelation. And uh, we are taking three preparation Sundays. How many of them? Three of them. Last Sunday was the first preparation Sunday. It was see Jesus. And see the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1. You must see that Jesus. Jesus Christ being revealed is really the ultimate result of the book of Revelation. And so uh, I thought it was very important that we started there last Sunday with seeing Jesus in Revelation chapter 1. Uh, listen, this is about the resurrected, ascended, glorified, magnified Jesus. And uh, as I've said, not the uh, image of the hippie sandal, poor carpenter's son, um, long-haired dude talking on the sand guy. Uh, this is the one. Uh, it is the same one, but this is the glorified, magnified one. And uh, we need to remember who our Savior is. And frankly, last Sunday, I just kind of on purpose ended our time together uh, abruptly with the question, so what are you going to do with the Jesus of Revelation chapter 1? So those of you who heard last Sunday, I just ask again, what are you doing with the glorified, magnified, risen one, the one that we saw in Revelation chapter 1 and went through that? What is changing in your life as a result of that Jesus? <laughs> Well, today is uh, Preparation Sunday number two, and this is really all about where we are going. And today is a foundational background of uh, important information for traveling to the land of Revelation. Where are we going? Next Sunday is our third preparation. It'll be the latter part of the first chapter, how we are going to function there. Once we get to the land of Revelation, if you will, key principles, associated data for living in the land of Revelation as we will be for some months ahead. And I know everybody's like, come on, pastor, like three preparation Sundays. Let's just go. Right. Yeah, a lot of you are. <laughs> and you just don't you think you're going to hurt my feelings. Um, but that's okay, and I understand that. I understand. Let's just like get into it and, and hear me on this. I'm not trying to drag this out. Uh, but spending these first three Sundays in chapter one is absolutely critical. It's absolutely critical. The temptation is just to kind of like, let's just go get out there and uh, jump on the journey. I mean, isn't that true? You just want to let's go. Karen and I, uh, this afternoon, we're getting in the car. We're heading out to Washington, D.C. to spend some days with our daughter and son-in-law and, and, oh yeah, them and the grandchild. And uh, we're doing that in some ways. It's like, let's just go. But uh, no, we have some things that we need to do and some time. And uh, why all the data? Why all these things? Because if we don't lay this foundation here for a while, I promise you it will be failure upon arrival. And I say that because of an experience that Karen and I and our daughter and our niece had in Colorado some years ago with the irony of this actually it's called a, a Noah's Ark was the company, good company. And, uh, but let me just tell you real quickly, we were, uh, remember the day we were all four of us, we were the four in the front of the boat there, out of the tour guide and then two other guys who were in the boat, some others who joined and uh, so we're in the boat, and we're going, and when it started out, you know, you get, and we got the wetsuit on and everything, and, and you're all ready to get going, and we're out there. We could see the rafts in the water, 
You're, you're like, let's go. And then our tour guide is like, we got to talk for a little while. And uh, we're like, oh. right? I mean, it's like, I know what you're going to do. You got to do this for liability reasons. That's the only reason you're doing this. And wah, 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 wah. And so, but I'll tell you, I actually listened this time. And uh, really, I did. And um, I'm glad because I am convinced that had we not had that 20, 30 minutes of wah, wah, wah tour guide information from him, one of the four of us would have died. And I say that seriously because about two seconds after this picture, our raft, in the worst part possible for it, to flipped over. Um, we were under the raft, and because of even, I remember for myself, because of some of the things they had said, I had an idea on what to do. And I'm just telling you, I am, was in the water convinced that either Karen or Emily or Kaylee, one of the girls was dead because I was struggling to get out and to stay head above water. And I thought for sure these girls are going down. Well, they all made it through, but here's my point. I listened to the tour guide for a little while. Okay, it mattered, it makes a difference. And so that's kind of where we're at with this. So Harvest, let's picture it this way. We're preparing to load the tour bus. And I'm the tour guide, and I get to choose the bus. Is that not like the coolest thing ever? All right? I have no idea how we're all going to fit in there, but I'm driving. I'm just telling you, because <laughs> I want to drive that bus. Um, anyway, so we're going to hop in, and uh, uh, we're headed to the land of Revelation. That's where we're headed to. And, and we're going to have a great time doing it. Um, and uh, I think you are excited because I have had more people talking about this series than any series prior to this. And so I'm just going to make sure. Are you ready to go with me? Yeah. Okay, you're ready. Uh, here we go. First, some uh, things. Standing alongside the bus. We are not going to get into the bus until the week after next. Now, was that just a huge letdown? <laughs> I brought you up and took your legs out. Um, here's some things here. Um, I need to talk to three groups of people this morning. You fit into one of these three groups. The group number one is first-time travelers. Hey, if you've never traveled to the land of the book of Revelation, welcome. And as your tour guide, I welcome you to this adventure. I ask that you bring your rookie eyes. I ask that you bring your rookie questions. And I ask that you bring your rookie enthusiasm. Along with that, I ask that you bring an awareness of your rookiness in the land of Revelation. And that means, one, be humble. Be humble. Be humble about your inexperience. It's okay. If you're brand new to the Bible, I love that. I am so thrilled you're going to be piling in the bus with us. And uh, bring that, but understand your rookiness in the Bible or the land of Revelation, if that's, a, if that's the case. It's okay. So be humble. Secondly, be patient. Let the book unfold. Okay? Let it unfold. There's a tendency to want to ask questions right in the beginning. Hold on. Let the book and the experience of it unfold. Third, for the first time travelers, be careful to not go wandering off in your inexperience. 
mean that very seriously. Be careful to not go wandering off in your inexperience as we're going to be talking about the land of Revelation as a unique place. So stay with your tour group. Uh, stay with your tour group. Group number two, experience travels. Experienced travelers, if you've been to the land of Revelation, maybe even if you've taught through it, um, I'm asking that you bring your journey experience. Bring it along. Your experience can be a great asset uh, for you and even for others as we go on this journey. Yet along with this, I'm just going to straight up ask you that you stow away any need to tell any of the other tour guests of your great experience. Yeah, I'm going to ask that you refrain from that, stow it away. Uh, if you have great uh, experience and understanding of the land of Revelation, be humble about it. Uh, hold it back. Uh, say it this way. Know-it-all travelers are annoying. Okay, and this goes even for our international teams and so forth, people that have been there sometimes can have a way of ruining the trip for others. And even if they don't know that they are or try to be that know-it-all person, sometimes you can be that by just like telling everything ahead and it's like, let others experience it. Let them have their questions. Let them hang for a while. Let them go through the journey with us together. So for experienced travelers, I would just say, uh, uh, come along, but also take it anew. There's a third group, and uh, this is particularly kind of the tour guide group. That's myself. It could be some of the other pastors, elders with it, but especially for me as I'm kind of viewing this as your tour guide here. I would just want to let you know a few things about your tour guide. This is his first Land of Revelation tour group as a certified tour guide into the Land of Revelation. Uh, this is his first time doing it. He's been there before, but first time as a tour guide, and he's entering this journey really excited. He's really excited about what he's going to be learning in this himself. Secondly, this tour guide will have no problem claiming Deuteronomy 29.29. 29. And that says that the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us. I will have no problem saying I don't know. I'm not sure, and I'll even be good with that. Because some things just need to be left in the hands of the Lord. The third thing uh, about me is uh, I'm not going to be taking your typical tour guide approach. Usually it starts out, I'll talk about this next week, but usually it starts out where the tour guide kind of begins by laying out his whole theological interpretive scheme on how the entire book unfolds. And then his whole journey taking the tour group is kind of proving why his interpretive scheme is the right scheme in it. I'm just not going to be doing that. I'll be talking with you next Sunday. We'll be getting understanding on some of the approaches, but we're going to experience it together. That's what I want to have happen. I want us to experience it. Also, he begins knowing that when he gets to the end of the tour, he's going to want to go back and do it all over again. That's just the way God's word works. Isn't that cool? You get through sometimes and you get to the end and it's like, oh, now I get what was going on in chapter. Okay, that's going to be part of it. And I want for you to know I'm jumping into this as a delightful opportunity to learn more of God's word along with you. So first timers, experienced travel guides, uh, the tour guide uh, has a statement for you at this point as we uh, think about getting in where we're going today. And it's this, the land of revelation is not a foreign, 
alien planet far, far away. It is not that. And I say that because sometimes people think that is the case. That the book of Revelation is some foreign alien planet far, far away. Well, if it's not that then, Doug, where are we going? I'm so glad you asked. Because that's where we're going today. Five things that are going to be helping us grab a hold of this place. So open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, if you already aren't there, it's the last book of the Bible. Five pieces of key data about where we are going. Lord, I pray as we dive in here that you would just help us to grab a hold of where we're going. This is your stuff. This is your information. This is your truth. Help us to know you more. Help us to see you more. Help us to grasp you more. Help us to love you more. In your name we pray. Amen. Number one, the land of Revelation has a founder. It has a founder. Let me read verses one through three. Most of the morning we're going to be camping here in these first three verses. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Let's begin with the first five words here in verse 1. Uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word for revelation in the Greek is apokalypso. I'm sorry, I, my Greek is like uh, bringing English in an apocalypse. It's uh, apokalypsis. Apokalypsis, okay? Apokalypsis. Now, what does it mean? Apocalyptic is what it sounds like. That's where we're headed. We are heading into apocalyptic information. Apocalypsis is a something revealed. It's something that's been disclosed that was formerly hidden, but it's unveiled. Uh, it's made known now. Last Sunday, I made reference to it that it's kind of like when the magician, there's a cloth over something, and he goes, ta-da, and it's revealed. That's what uh, this word is referring to. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's of Jesus Christ. Grammatically here, there's two ways to understand what just was said in these first five words. Number one, you can understand it as Jesus Christ is the source. Or number two, you can understand it as Jesus Christ is the subject. In other words, you can say the revelation of Jesus Christ as the source, which is most likely the grammatical reality of it is that Jesus Christ is the source of everything that's about to come out here. But we also know this, it can be completely understood as the hearers who first heard it, heard it, they could be understanding grammatically correctly that it's saying that Jesus Christ is the subject of what is about to be said. And the fact of the matter is, it is source and subject of Jesus Christ. That's what we are entering into. We are entering into information that has a founder, and that founder is Jesus Christ, okay? He is the source, 
And in all reality, he is the subject of everything we're diving into. That's why we spent the time on him last Sunday. Uh, yet there's some more here about the, the founding and founder here. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at the process. Which God the Father gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. There's a whole uh, thing that's taking place here. It's really interesting. You just don't see this in the other books of the Bible where God kind of lays out a flow of how the information came to us here. And, and what we see here is there's this team of agents that's going on. It starts with God the Father uh, in the beginning. God the Father uh, gifts, the word has this idea, gifts the inheritances to Jesus Christ, God the Son. God the Son, then, is given the information to show it. Listen, this is a show book. This is not so much a book like a textbook, but this is a picture book. This is an image book. This is a show book. And this is something that Jesus Christ is going to show. Now, just from that alone, we could essentially say that God the Father and God the Son are the sources of the book. And that would be true. But what's interesting in the text is it's clearly highlighting the sourceness of Jesus Christ. But there's so much to learn about the Trinity just in that whole makeup right there amongst the Trinity. God the Father wants the Son to be the shower. They love, they want each other glorified, magnified, it's really cool. And then we see here that uh, the Son has it made known by sending his angel. Uh, what angel is it, Doug? It doesn't matter. It doesn't tell us. Was it Michael? It doesn't matter. It was an angel. And it was his angel. And Jesus, the source, sent his angel uh, to be able to give the transmitting agent role to him. So we have the father to the son through an angel and to his servant John. This is the apostle John. We're going to learn more about John next week when we get into some historical context of what's going on with uh, this book in the land of Revelation. And John bore witness to the first coming of Christ. This is the apostle John. He bears witness to the testimony about the coming of Christ. By the way, note down in verse 11 and verse 19, you can see that John is told to write it down. So in this, John is told by the angel from the son, given to him by the father, to be the, the son, the shower. The angel says, hey, you're going to write this down as we get there next Sunday. Big point is this, out of this first point. We're in divinity material. That's the point. This is not just some guy on an island that had a rough day and too much heat. And he started like writing down some really kind of weird, bizarre uh, uh, hallucination that he had. It's not that. It's the divinely founded, it's divinely sourced, and it's divinely transmitted. There's a divinity source and a divinity subject, and as a result of that, we enter it with great awe and with great care. Hey friends, this is... God's stuff that we're entering. And when we enter into God's territory, we treat it as though it's God's stuff and God's territory. And there may be times as we go through this uh, letter, this book of Revelation, that at times you're like, I don't like that. 
I don't get that. That seems kind of dumb the way it's written here that God would do that. How can God be a judge? Is there really a hell? All of these kinds of subjects and ideas in here as we get to them. Listen in this. As we go into this, this is not about what I think. This isn't even about what you think. This is about what we understand God knows. And so at times, it's going to make you and I really uncomfortable. And even at times, I may go, I don't even like that. I don't even know why God does it that way. But listen to me. I am not standing here before the founder and fighting the founder. We cannot do that. We want to understand what the founder has to say and how the founder, founder thinks and what the founder knows. The land of Revelation has a founder. Secondly, the land of Revelation has what I'm calling citizens. Who is in the land of Revelation? Who is the land of Revelation for? By the way, if you're right now kind of going, Doug, you know, land of Revelation and a founder and citizens. What's with all this bizarre kind of imagery you're using? It's just straight up. I want for you to know I'm doing all of this on purpose. Doing all of this on purpose at this stage of the game because we are about to enter into a very imagery-driven book. And so I'm kind of trying to whet our appetite. Yeah, I'm kind of like in a parenthesis outside of the sermon at the moment. And I'm kind of like trying to whet your appetite with picture things. Embrace them. Images carry meaning. Okay? And as I'm kind of doing this, it's actually preparing you to be a little bit more aware because we're oftentimes uncomfortable with this kind of material. But that's where I'm going. Okay, just so you know, I'm kind of playing with your minds and preparing you a little bit as your tour guide here, okay? The land of Revelation has citizens. Look at verse 1. It says to show, in other words, the founder is revealing, showing this information to his servants. We've talked about this before in the past where the word here is doulos, it's, it's servants. Uh, that's actually kind of a pretty light idea of it. You can see oftentimes a lot of the bottom of, the, of, of your Bible will know bond servant. That's even a little bit light. The reality is, is that the word has this idea of slave. Hey, slaves of Christ. That's really what doulos is referring to in it, and it's, it's his servants, his doulos. Verse 11, it also says he's writing to the seven churches. So he's writing to his followers, the followers of Christ, and he's writing to seven churches. It has a recipient, is my point. The Land of Revelation book has an intended recipient, and the recipient is those who are in Christ. Those are the citizens in the land of Revelation that the book is addressed to. It's a broad category from the standpoint of Christ's servants, but there's also a narrow recipient in the reality that there are seven specific real churches. We'll talk about them next Sunday, or actually the Sunday after that. So two items with this. One, it has an intended recipient citizenship base. It's written to a particular group of people, people that are in Christ. A commentator says this, the unbelieving skeptic finds the book of Revelation nothing but chaos and confusion. But to those in Christ, this book is the understandable unveiling of God's truth. Know this, all are invited. And if you're here this morning, and if you're like, you know, I'm just kind of checking this stuff out, I'm really not sure about this, you are welcome. Hop in the VW tour bus, 
join us with it. But know this, that this book is written to people that are in Christ. Hear what it is. You will learn about the Lord. You will learn about the God of Scripture. We want you on this journey. But you also kind of need to understand who this is written to in the reality of things. So let me do something here. Let me add up all the data so far. When you look at the book of Revelation, we find out that it's about a real God revealing real content penned down by a real person intentioned for real people to really understand. This is not a fantasy. This is not science fiction. This is not an alien planet far, far away. This is from a real God to a real person for real people to really understand. And we're real people, right? And we want to understand. And so it's written here for us. The land of Revelation has a founder. The land of Revelation has citizens. Third, the land of Revelation has a purpose. In other words, what's this place of land of Revelation all about? What is it all about? Well, in the middle of verse 1, it says to show his servant the things that must soon take place soon take place. Then you go down to the end of verse 3. It says, for the time is near. Here in the text, there is this new, there's near, soon, time kind of talk that's going on. We already know from last Sunday, we've talked about that ultimately it is about revealing Jesus Christ, but there's also something along with this. There's some kind of soon, near things that are happening here in the text that it has a, a purpose. And there's a lot of important discussions that take place about this terminology right here. I could spend a whole morning on it, but I don't want to bore you with it. But what does this mean? Because isn't it when you read this, you read this, understanding, we'll talk next Sunday, written in about 95 AD. And it's saying that there are some events that are going to soon happen. They're near events that are about to happen. And when you hear that, and most likely the readers in the first century AD, when they heard it, they're thinking like, this year, next year, in my lifetime, or at least in my kid's lifetime, because that's near, right? I mean, that's soon. Now, I think sometimes uh, one of the things is that what people will do is take the reality on what this word means, what these words mean, and, and almost use it for their own theological uh, desire. Uh, what am I talking about? Let me put some information out here. What does the word mean? To his Verse 1, to his servants, the things that must soon take place. Soon, the word is take. It's, it, we get tachometer from it. It has, uh, in certain contexts, it has the idea of speed, of quickness. Oh, that makes sense. A tachometer, it measures how fast, uh, how many RPMs the engine is running. Speed, quickness. But there's also in context where this same word can have this idea of eminency, of certainty. And a choice literally has to be made here. We do that with English all the time. We have words that, depending on the context, carries a meaning along with it. And here, uh, it's, it's, this word could actually be used either way. Like, it's coming really, really fast, or it's coming with eminency. Know this, it's coming. 
Now, and also in verse 3, the, the word that's used here for time, it says, for the time is near. Time, time. It's not the Greek word chronos. Chronos, uh, oftentimes you'll see that on a watch. It means actual time, calendar time, walking time, uh, daytime, movement time. Uh, it's not that word. The word that is actually there that's used is kairos. Kairos has more of the idea of a season, of an era, of a period of time. So how do you put this together? Let me just say this. Why am I even doing this right now? I'm doing this right now one more time to kind of prepare you. There are times when you come to the book of Revelation in particular where we have choices to make. And in those choices, because of some of the grammar and the structure and the imagery, there can be a tendency to grab what fits your scheme, interpretive scheme, talk next week, best. I'm going to use that one because I like that choice. Actually, there's four views that come out of this whole use of this word. View number one, it means that it's going to happen like immediately, like in years time. It's going to happen soon. View number two is uh, the soon near time era. When it happens, it's going to happen fast. It's going to take place really quickly whenever it hits. A third one is it's going to happen when it's least expected. It's going to be stunningly, shockingly. No one's going to be expecting it, and bam, it comes on. And then a fourth view is that there's an imminent certainty to this soon near time era. So which one do you pick? I'm half tempted just to leave you hanging. But I want to set an example here. And here's my example. I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. Because frankly, I think in the first century AD, they could have read this as they think it was coming fast. But just because they could have read it that way, it doesn't mean that's what the text meant. Okay? I think it's the fourth view. But I'm not going to be dogmatic about it. I think it's the fourth view that there is an imminency and a certainty that Jesus is coming back. I'm not saying that because it's like, Doug, it's been 2,000 years. Explain away. Well, this one works best to explain it away. I'm not doing that. Two reasons why I picked this. Number one is because when you look into the Old Testament and you see the Old Testament prophets talking about future events, they are not very much concerned about time, chronology, months, years to the date kind of stuff. They are not out there saying at this point in time this will happen. If you look at the Old Testament, the whole general approach of the Old Testament is know this, this is going to happen. A certainty, and, 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 and it's eminent that it's going to be happening. Along with that, Mark 13, 33 uh, talks about from the New Testament, do not be people that are calculating the days. You're never going to hear from me that on this date, this year, Jesus is returning. If it is, fire me. Please. Because that's not going to happen. You don't see that in the New Testament. We're not supposed to do that. So undogmatically, I say, as your top tour guide, I think what is happening here is the Lord is saying, listen, I'm coming. I'm coming. You can be certain about it. Let me take care of the time. I'm coming. And personally, I, I felt like this afternoon would be great. It would be great. But we'll leave that in his hand. The land of Revelation has a founder, it has citizens, it has a purpose. Number four, the land of Revelation has expectations. 
Three expectations for tour groups that enter the land of Revelation. I think this is so cool. Right up front, the text tells us three expectations that it has of you and I and us. Number one, expected blessing. Isn't that cool? I, I, by the way, I can just promise everybody who's going on an international trip this year, you will be blessed by this. You'll be blessed by going. You will. I promise you. I don't know how, but you'll be blessed by it. Why? Because everybody else has whenever they go. They just are. But how cool is this, the fact that God says that it, we will be blessed in the reading and in the hearing and in the doing of what he says in this book. There's a beatitude in it. There's a blessing that takes place in this book. So, Doug, if I read Revelation, uh, I'll be blessed and I won't have any more life problems or people problems or money problems or, you know, circumstantial trial problems of life. Everybody say, not that. Okay, what it means is God's going to bless. Let him define it. Okay? We are not a prosperity gospel church. We are not a voodoo. Read the Bible and God will then bless you. Go home. You'll have a check for a million dollars in your box. Okay? That's not going to happen. If it does, awesome. <laughs> That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Let's help a whole lot of people with $20,000 to go overseas. Expected blessing. Secondly, expected life change. See in verse 3, and who keeps what is written in it. Now this, friends, oftentimes people get into the book of Revelation and they stay in the thinking realm of the book. Not the, so how is this going to change me realm of the book. The book starts out with the idea that, listen, it will bless those who read and who hear and who do. And if we get through this whole series and your and my and our life is not changed as a result of it, if we do not see life differently, live life differently, do life differently, help each other do life differently, then we have failed. This is not just about the future, this is about now. And all of this will come back and help us to change us and build our theology, and build our faith in the Lord. Number three, expected team. Expected team. Expected blessing, expected life change, and expected team. There's just in this, this whole idea of this is for people, this is for uh, churches. Uh, this is not the great individualism tour bus ride. This is not a private tour. We do this together. In fact, the whole context, again, is that, that this is to go to letters to churches. And we live in a culture where we make a God out of individualism. But individualism does not fit well with the Christian life. And even the whole idea here in this book is this idea. That this is the kind of thing that if you were to read aloud and hear, that means it has to be more than one. And if you're to do it, you have to, you change around and with people. So I, I wish there was a bigger VW bus, but let's do this. Let's just get like a whole pile of them. So we all go together. But the idea is we're going together in that. That's what Revelation expects to have happen, that people go through this together. And talk about study it individually do that but there's a team together thing in it number five 
It's a, there's a founder, it has citizens, it's a purpose, it has expectations. And number five, the land of revelation is a unique place. In literary terms, it has a unique genre. Three things with this. What kind of literature are we entering in? Number one, we're entering into apocalyptic literature. It's apocalyptic literature. Apocalyptic literature was really well known during about 200 BC to 200 AD. Here's the fact of the matter. We don't get apocalyptic literature very well. It's kind of outside of our culture. But back in the time when this was being written, people, this was right in their zone. Apocalyptic literature was a part of literature of the day. And so this writing is a bit foreign to us. We're familiar with picture language. Like when Jesus says that his people are salt and light, we know that Jesus is not saying, go pour salt on you and like tie light bulbs all on you, or you are that. We know that. It's picture language. But we're not very familiar with apocalyptic language. So when it says locusts that have scorpion tails and human heads, we're like, right? When it says a woman clothed with the sun. When it says a beast with seven heads and ten horns. When we hear that kind of terminology, we think sci-fi. We think fantasy literature. But this is not sci-fi fantasy literature. This is apocalyptic literature. And it has images and symbols, and we can get lost in them, but we are going to do our best to try and grab a hold of these and understand them. It's apocalyptic literature. What's also interesting about the book of Revelation is it's not just apocalyptic literature, but it's also prophetic literature. It's prophetic literature. If you look in verse 3, in the middle of it, it says the words of this prophecy. Also in chapter 22, verse 7, 10, 18, and 19, it uses the same. It refers to itself as prophecy. And biblical prophecy includes both prediction of the future and proclamation of God's truths for the present. And usually the emphasis is actually on the proclamation related to the present. But it's prophetic literature as well. And it stands in the tradition of the Old Testament. It's filled with allusions and powerful language and imagery like it's used in the Old Testament. Some 70% of Revelation can be tied to Old Testament ties. This is huge filling in the prophecy kind of genre of things. And the Old Testament was focused on events of the present and immediate future, but also the eschatological events, the future events that are yet to come. It's apocalyptic literature that's filled with strange visions and bizarre images. But know this, the strange visions and bizarre images are not incomprehensible because they're comprehensible to the Lord. And what seems freaky to us is not freaky to the Lord. It's apocalyptic information, but it's also prophetic information. And I'm going to add one other thing here. I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 because it's epistolary literature. It's a letter. It's like the epistles. Let me read verses 4 through 8. John. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. This is the John the Apostle to a real people in a real place. And he starts out, this sounds so like so many of the epistles. Grace to you. 
And peace from him who is and who was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, referring to the Spirit and the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. We've talked about this all last week. And who has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. All of this after the prologue, this is epistolary information. This is a letter. This is a letter written to real people. As Americans, you do not tour Indiana the same way that you tour Hawaii. You don't. And you do not tour Indiana or Hawaii the same way that you would tour China. And you do not tour Indiana or Hawaii or China the same way that you would tour Romania or Haiti or St. Vincent Island. They're unique unto themselves. And they have a unique way of talking, they have a unique way of culture. They have a unique way of all kinds of things. And you have to, and this is one of the things in the past, when I used to travel more into Europe, I saw Americans again and again and again step into Europe and think Europe was just like America. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is a unique place. This is a different place. And by the way, America isn't always the best, most awesome thing ever. Experience where you are at. And we are traveling into what is apocalyptic, prophetic, epistolary information. It's a letter. It's different than the land of the Gospel of Mark, where we just came from. And we need to understand that. We need to know that. Likewise, when you pick up and read the newspaper, you read the newspaper differently than you read a novel. And you read a novel differently than you read a textbook. And this is God's Word. And even within God's Word, it has unique genres of reading. More of that will come as we move along. The land of Revelation has one a founder, two citizens, three a purpose, four expectations for you and I in our travels there. And it is a unique place to travel to. So, travelers, where are we going? Well, let me sum it up this way. We are going to a place that is about a real God revealing real information through a real angel to a real person who writes what he really saw in a real apocalyptic prophetic letter that has a real founder with real citizens having a real purpose and a real expectations for real people in real churches living in real situations. And it's intended to be really understood. Maybe not every detail, but it's written to real people to be really understood. And I'm laying all this groundwork because it is absolutely important to understand we're not stepping into a fantasy. We're not stepping into a hallucination of someone who's just like playing with people's minds. This is not a joke. This is God's word. And he wants us to know what he has to say. That's why he's revealing land of Revelation contains imagery that invites you and I into a world to see symbols and images. 
It's a world meant to change our entire perception of the world that we live in today. It's going to help us see more of the Lord than maybe you and I have ever seen before. We will be blessed by it. And we will play by its rules. It does not give us the freedom to make of it what we want. We play by its rules. And that's where we will play. We are going to a place where the great curtain of redemptive history is being pulled back and opened more than it's ever been opened to this point in God's Word. And we are going to see things about the Lord and beyond and around the Lord and in the heavens that you and I may have never known about or seen before. And I'm telling you, first-time travelers, experienced travelers, as your tour guide, I can't wait. But we have one more Sunday that we need to understand how we're going to function when we get there. How do you handle this material when we get there? Duvall and Hayes say, in spite of how things appeared in the first century and in spite of how things may appear in 2015, Jesus is Lord and he is coming soon to set things straight. The revelation provides the prophetic apocalyptic word from God that God's people need in order to remain faithful in the midst of opposition today. Van hasn't turned on yet, but it's going. And if I can get one of those, park it outside, <laughs> we're going for a ride. We're going. Lord, thank you so much for your goodness. And God, sometimes these foundation kind of talks, sometimes these are just filled with data that it's like, let's just get there. But Lord, it's important. It's preparation time. And God, it even just reminds me in all this to pray for all of our teams that are preparing right now to go overseas. To go over to build, to go over to minister to kids, to go over to minister to adults. I think of Nick and Jill and JC and Tress right now in St. Vincent Island, being a part of church there. God, preparations went into our time this morning together. This didn't just happen. Preparations are important. Father, I just pray that you'd be helping us to lay the groundwork of where we're entering. And above all, may we remember that you are the one that John fell to the floor, face to the ground, fear that he was going to die because of your awesome. In your awesomeness, you and your grace and your love and your kindness are opening some of the, the, the reality of what's ahead for us to be able to know more of you and to see you more. How amazing are you? You don't have to do that. But you do. So God, I pray for your blessing. But oh Lord, as this tour guide, oh Lord, I pray for your help. May we learn how to study our Bible better as a result of this series. Most of all, may we be awed by you. You are the amazing one. 
All things are about you, moving to you and because of you. And for that, we give you praise in Christ's name.